Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Would you open your Bibles to the book of Daniel, chapter 4, as we start a new chapter, Daniel chapter 4, in a Bible study that I've entitled, God Reaches the Unreachable. And this will be the first part of a couple of studies as we begin to contemplate those in our lives that we seem and deem, they seem to be, and we deem are unreachable, or they'll never believe, or they'll never change. You know, they're caught up in addiction, they're caught up in themselves, they're caught up in bitterness, and they, they just are in a category, whether we say it or not, that we think they're unreachable, we think it's impossible, no way, never. And whether we admit it or not, there seems to be those in our lives that are just way out there and seem to be unreachable. And we come to the Bible and we go, well, you know, I know God loves the world, but that guy's outside of the world. She's just too far. And we think, here's a few categories that I was thinking, I was jotting my notes down. You know, when we think of things going on in the Middle East, we think of the word terrorist. And we just say, you know, they're just beyond the reach of God, terrorists. Or criminals, felons, or those that just seem to cause us headaches and heartaches, people that we work with, people that are a boss. Maybe it's an aunt, maybe it's a cousin, maybe it's a sister or a brother. But it's an interesting thing, isn't it? With all of our love for God and all of our faith and all of our hope, there are those that we just still think, whether we admit it or not, are beyond the reach of God. And we're reminded today, as we've seen before, that no one is beyond the reach of God. No one is beyond God's reach. I think of what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, jotted down in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 26, he writes, and I'm reading from the New Living, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose those things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. And God chose those things that are despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And you have to look, I've been overwhelmed personally lately on the grace of God in my own life. As I'm out at these various conferences sharing, you're you're pretty much familiar with my story. You've been here for a while, but other people aren't. And so in order to build a bridge, and hopefully God giving me credibility to teach God's word to them, I share a little bit of my life with them, a little bit of the reality that I'm not much different than the people that are in front of me, and that, man, I've come from a real difficult background. It could have been worse, but it was bad nonetheless. And as I begin to share some of my testimony, it's just, I I compare to what God's doing in my life right now, and I'm just overwhelmed by the grace of God. I'm overwhelmed by the grace of God just in my life, let alone yours. Like, who am I to deserve what God? Where was I exactly? There was no redeeming quality in my life when God intervened. There was nothing really to salvage or to save from man's eyes. And yet God saw so much more. 
And it begs the question in our time today is, you know, when's the last time you were just overwhelmed with the grace of God in your life? Where would you be today? Or would you even be here today, not in this building, but alive, had it not been for the grace of God? Would you enjoy what you're enjoying? And immediately, some of you are in deep pain right now and deep difficulty, and so you associate the grace of God and the goodness of God, and it's got clouded, and it's, it's been clouded a little bit by the pain that you're in. And so you're not enjoying it as much because, we, yeah, if I was so gracious, then God wouldn't have let me do this. And if God was so good, he wouldn't have allowed this. And if God was so good, he would have prevented this. And you've skewed the goodness of God by your experience and by your emotion. But you see, God is good whether you agree with that or not. And God is faithful whether you acknowledge that or not. And even in the midst of the deepest heartache, God, he is good to you and to me. And not everything is going to go our way. And not everything is going to end the way we want it to end or end according to plan. But God is still good. And he is able to reach the unreachable. This little family of churches, but it's not exclusive, but our little family of churches is filled with the unreachables. The whole movement was started by a generation that was written off by this world, that parents just gave up on their kids for good reason. You see some of the pictures and, you know, you look at the pictures of Woodstock and stuff, man, the hippies were whacked out. And you're, some of you go, man, I was a hippie. You call me, yes, yes. If you forgot, go back and look. Well, I don't remember. I, you know, I don't remember. Well, look at the pictures. You'll see. Your parents, some of your parents even gave up on you. But God didn't give up on you. He saw beyond the drugs. And he saw beyond the free sex. And he saw beyond the, this desire to express yourself and get attention and, and just free love and free spirit. And it really doesn't matter what captivates culture. It doesn't really matter what the big deal is. We see a, a whole different environment in our culture now. A whole different darkness. But that doesn't intimidate God. He's not intimidated by the LGBTQXYZ generation. He loves them. Do you? Do you love those that are caught and captivated by sin? Oh, it's a little more offensive these days. You bet. It's right in your face. But sin is offensive to God, whether you see it or not. So really nothing's changed. What's changed is the behavior and the expression of lostness. Lostness. And while that wasn't a particular sin in my life, when God reached me, I was in a condition of lostness. I was lost. I was blinded. And I was this generation that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to, bring, to confound the wise. Or as it says, he, think, he chose the things that are counted as nothing at all. Counted as nothing at all. And used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And in every generation, God has reached down to the guttermost, as D.L. Moody once said, to the guttermost to change and transform lives. And you and I as believers, we either choose to participate in it or become a critic. Critics don't participate. They sit in the stands and find out everything that's wrong and point fingers at what it's wrong. And critics, they're not involved in the game. God has saved us to involve us. And I'm glad he did. I'm glad that he does. Nebuchadnezzar, when we come to chapter 4, is another one of those men that I'm glad God chose to intervene in his life. This is the world ruler 
uh, of the known time, of that time, the, of the known world, this is the ruler, Nebuchadnezzar. Unreachable in so many real practical ways. Not the kind of guy you'd be able to walk up to and shake his hand. Not the kind of guy you'd have a conversation with. Not the kind of guy that you'd have a, a coffee at a coffee shop with or a meal at McDonald's. This is an unreachable guy in every category, practically, and then from a perspective distance-wise, this is the kind of guy that if you don't do what he tells you to do, he has a furnace fired seven times hotter and he throws you in. He, he is an unreachable man in every category. Of all the people in the world, he is the least likely candidate to encounter God. He's powerful. He's prosperous. He's self-sufficient. He's successful. In a world, he is the ruler and pompous and prideful. And this, the consequence or the conclusion we would come to is that there's no way I could reach him. If you were given, hey, I want you to go meet Nebuchadnezzar and go share the gospel with him, you'd start to process all that and go, that isn't going to happen. Even if I wrote him a letter or sent him a private message on Instagram, he's not going to get it. He's got people that read those for him. We will not be able to reach him. And so... With a man like that, we're introduced to a section of Scripture where we're reminded again that God is not intimidated by Nebuchadnezzar. There is no such thing as the fear of man in God. There's no such thing. He's not intimidated by any of the power or prosperity, anything. Everything that Nebuchadnezzar has, God has given to him and entrusted to him. And now take that person in your life who doesn't really measure up to Nebuchadnezzar, but could be very close, that man, that woman, and consider this truth. They are not out of reach. Remember this guy's name, Nebuchadnezzar. We looked on an earlier study weeks ago at Saul of Tarsus, another man that we consider a terrorist in his day, a murderer on behalf of God, and yet God reached him on the road to Damascus in a supernatural way. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promises, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. God is wanting everyone to repent. We memorize this scripture in the New King James. You might remember it this way. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That our God is patient and loving, and he's a saving God. And Nebuchadnezzar finds this out, notice, in verse 1 of chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race and nation language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I want you to know about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs and how powerful his wonders. His kingdom will last forever and his rule through all generations. These are the words of a changed man. You turn a page to one chapter to the next and the miraculous work of God has happened by the persevering work that he had over Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God used circumstances in the life of Nebuchadnezzar he used circumstances combined with his people, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He, he used these four young men with circumstances, and in this case also dreams, 
to get to the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. And I have found that to be a formula that God uses often. Circumstances and people. Circumstances and God's people. Where he'll allow circumstances in a person's life to grab and grasp their attention. And for the alert believer, for the believers not whining and complaining about their station in life, which Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego could easily have complained that they have left comfort and ease, been literally kidnapped, taken away, which was culturally uh, something that you would expect when you were overtaken by another country. And they could have easily bemoaned their reality of their present life, but they didn't. They embraced it. They embraced the will of God in their life. They took a stand without compromise, which only positioned them to be there for the circumstances of this guy named Nebuchadnezzar. And what does he say? Peace and prosperity to you. Peace and prosperity. How do we know of God's great power? Because of the peace and prosperity he extends. Because you have a testimony. And I have a testimony of God's faithfulness. And your testimony is a powerful tool to reach those around us. It's our story. It's, it's unique to you and it's unique to me. It, we have overlapping pieces of our testimony where God intersects our lives together. But we all come from a different upbringing, different background, different families. We all have family, we all have situations. And yet what we all enjoy in Christ is his faithfulness. And we're about to hear this great, how great are his signs and his wonders that he experienced as every single one of us has a past and every single one of us have encountered God and every single one of us can testify to the change of God in our lives. Turn over to John chapter 9, would you please? John's gospel, chapter 9. You know, the Pharisees in this chapter are enraged over a miracle. And yet the man that was healed from his blindness does not back down. The young man in John chapter 9 has just, man, he has been delivered. Jesus is walking around in verse 1 and there's a man that was blind from birth, it says in verse 1. And Jesus, he heals him. And notice verse 11. It says, well, pick up in verse 10, really. They, the Pharisees chase him down and they say, who healed you and what happened? And the man that was healed said, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed and now I see. Well, where is he now, they asked. And he says, I don't know. Now, that's part of his testimony. What happened to you? Well, this guy named Jesus, he made some mud put on my eyes. That's his testimony. You know, he can't make it up. He can't change it. He, he can't, it, this is what happened to him. And I would say, even if you're, testimony involves a little bit of mud don't be ashamed it's your story I know it sounds weird like where is what happened to you well um, um, you know I met this guy and and uh, he made some mud and he put on my eyes and now I see what that's part of my story knows verse 18 the Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and now he sees so they called in his parents and they asked him is this your son was he born blind if so how can he see and his parents said, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. Now, his parents were a little afraid because they didn't want to be thrown out of their lifestyle. They didn't want to lose everything. But they noticed, they said, it's his story. Ask him. 
because you have a story. And you may find somebody is so enthralled with your story, so, so your story so inspires them that they actually send people to you so you can tell them your story. Ask them. We know he was born blind. I grew up with the guy. I know I raised him. I gave birth to him. I know all about him. But you need to ask him his story. Jump to verse 24. For the second time, it says, they called the man who had been born blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner, verse 25. And I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. And mark those words. This is his testimony. I know this. I was blind, but now I see. That's how confident we are. You know, the people like to argue about a lot of things when it comes to the things of God. They like to argue about Bible versions. They like to argue about uh, different little technicalities in the Bible. There'll always be somebody you meet to go, oh, I don't believe in the Bible because there's so many contradictions. And then when you ask them, tell me one, they don't know because they've never read the Bible. And so they don't know. They're just kind of throwing things to your way that, that will try to knock you off your feet. And depending on where you are in your maturity level, depending on how long you've been walking with the Lord, it can stumble you. I still, to this day, get stumbled by some of these crafty arguments that people come up with. And I'm just like, I don't know. Like, that's a, that's a good one. And, and I need to study that. I need to look. I like, there, there'll be times where people will be so convincing. And you're just like, got to shake your head for a second. I go, no, man, you don't even know what you're talking about. But when I share my testimony, and people want to argue with me about my testimony, they want to tell me it wasn't that bad, or, you know, that really didn't happen to you, or whatever, I can always respond, look, bro, I know what I know. I was there. You weren't there. I know, and I can say it this way, I was blind, but now I see. That is a common thing that happens in the fellowship here where, you know, I'll share a testimony, things somebody will hear on the radio, and then they'll show up to visit, and they'll look, and they'll tell me, you don't, you don't look like I thought you would look. Because it sounds like on the radio, you'd be all beat up, and, you know, your testimony's so bad. And, and, you know, people think pastors were, like, born with glasses. Like, they came out of the room, and they were glasses, and you, you just look like a pastor. And, you know, sometimes they'll show up and go, you don't even look like a pastor. Well, what do pastors look like? I don't know. But I'll tell you this. I was blind, but now I see. I was there. I lived my life. And what portions of my life I remember, it's true. And for those of you that share your testimony, you know there's portions of your life that you wish weren't true, that you wish weren't a part of your testimony. And like this blind guy, everybody's come and rip, no, that didn't happen, that can't be true, that didn't. I look, bro, I, I know what I know. And I can think back to 28 years every day, all day, every day for 28 years, God has been faithful. And he has done what he promised. And that he's faithful to complete it even to the day of Jesus Christ. So be confident in what God's doing in your life. Be confident. Your testimony is powerful. Nebuchadnezzar has trans is transformed. He went from an angry, antagonistic man to a willing witness. And God used Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, very normal, regular people to reach him. And that's our calling. Don't ever forget your calling, church. Don't ever forget the church that you've become a part of, this local fellowship family, has a vision, has a direction, has a mandate from God. 
and we've been able to summarize it in just one word, that we've been put on the planet for one reason, that we are tools in God's hand for one purpose in Aurora and Denver in the metro area, and that's evangelism. It's to build a bridge from the gospel of Jesus Christ, the cross, the death and resurrection of Jesus to people that don't know him. That's it. We have have a heart to evangelize, that we will do anything short of sin to reach the lost, to reach a lost person because every person matters. God did not raise up a church to build a church and to build a big ministry, to fill rooms, and he didn't do that. He called us to be evangelists. Not necessarily the gift of evangelism or, you know, the, like, well, now I've got to be the best evangelist. I've got to be like someone that, really, no, just be yourself and let God use you, even if it's just your testimony. Even if you just say, I was blind and now I see. And somebody says, you were never blind. And you go, yes, I was, spiritually, just like you are right now. Well, I'm not blind. Well, let me tell you a little bit about my blindness and see if you can't relate. And you don't even have to be antagonistic. You don't have to be all finger pointing of people's sins. You don't have to highlight all 10 sins you know your coworker does every single day, all day, and at night. You can just share your testimony. I was blind and now I see. And God, that's the bridge that he wants to you. He has chosen the foolish things of the world. Why? To reach the wise. To confound them. To bring them to a place of going, I don't understand what has happened in your life. And he's going to use regular people like you and like me. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 22, verse 14. He said, many are called, but few are chosen. And that's right. Many are called. The gospel, the good news of the gospel goes out to everyone. You can say that God has made the call to everyone. They just don't come. And I think in the world today, it's more our responsibility than anyone. They'll never come if we don't ask, if we don't invite. And even those that may never want to darken the doors of this building, there's, they don't need to be in this building to come and encounter with the church because you're the church. And Nebuchadnezzar, he is met by these men that he never met before because God arranged this. And he's changed. God wants to use us in an invitation that we might be a willing witness. And so he declares this peace. Notice verse 4 now of chapter 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity. But one night I had a dream that frightened me. I saw visions that terrified me as I lay in my bed. So I issued an order calling all the wise men of Babylon so they could tell me what my dream meant. When all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers came in, I told them the dream. But they, cho- they could not tell me what it meant. And at last Daniel came in before me and I told him the dream. And he was named Belteshazzar after my God, little g. And the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said to him, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too great for you to solve. Now tell me what my dream means. And then he goes on to share. The king had it made. He was in cruise control. All the money, all the power, all the prestige, it was his. He was at the top of the corporate ladder. He was number one on the Forbes 500 list. He met all the goals. He was the celebrity. If he had an Instagram feed, he would have had millions of followers. He was the guy. He had it all. 
but he was afraid and troubled on the inside. And in his time where you would expect rest, he couldn't rest. Because even in his sleep, dreams were troubling him. Some of you have been there, you know of which I speak. That you go to bed expecting rest, but you're troubled. It could be God's trying to speak to you. It could be deep pain. You're unable to sleep. But this is the type where you're so tired and you lay down and expect, man, you'd be happy if you just got four or five good hours of sleep and you weren't able to sleep at all. Up and down, wide awake. You got this vision, this dream, this worry, this fear. That's where he is. He was terrified, it says. He was frightened. A man of comfort and prosperity was also frightened and terrified. Can I just remind us today as we're sharing the gospel with our, you know, the vision of our church, evangelism, a desire, a responsibility to win, disciple, and send, that we would employ any means possible short of sin to reach the lost, that not everybody's life is as it appears. Do you guys agree with me? Not everybody's life is as it appears. Not every smile represents happiness. Not every nice-dressed person represents prosperity. Not everything that you see on the outward is actually reflective of the inside. The more and more I walk with Jesus and the more and more I explore my own pain and difficulty in my life and giving it to the Lord and learning myself, the more and more I'm noticing that people have things just under the surface. Just under the surface. And it's just waiting to come out. You know, the Bible says that a wise person can draw out counsel from the deep wells of their heart, like that, that it's wise. You draw out from someone that somebody that has packed it down and pressed it in. But we're so busy and hustle and bustle with our own lives that we, maybe you're not even willing to admit, but you're not just, you, you don't admit that you don't even care about people. You don't like people. I had somebody say recently in my presence, they didn't say it to me, they, they literally just said, I don't like people. But that's not possible for the follower of Jesus. If you don't like people, you're going to have to learn how to get over yourself and learn how to see the potential in a person because God likes people. He created us in his image. Now, I don't know that, I'm not saying that we have to like every behavior, every situation, but, but man, if you're here today, you're just like, I don't like people. Like one of my pet peeves as a pastor is anytime a pastor comes to the pulpit and says, you know, I love the ministry, it'd be great if it wasn't for the people. And then they get a kind of funny laugh, especially at pastors. Oh, everybody's, ah, ha, ha, ha. Hey, listen, there's no ministry without people. You can't have one or the other. Well, I would just love to have ministry if it wasn't for the people. No, listen, ministry exists because of the people. The word ministry means servant. And I admit, people can be difficult, they can be challenging, they can be downright mean and nasty. But Jesus Christ died for people. And we would do well to tune in to the Holy Spirit where the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, of which there is no law. There's no boundaries around these things. No hindrances. And it could be that you're just right there ready to step out into new avenues of loving people if you'll just admit that your attitude toward people is sinful and receive the forgiveness of God, especially in those that have been hurt. The idea behind uh, the original word for frightened and terrified is dread. 
This is a man that couldn't sleep and he's dealing with dread and a terrible fear. Troubling and alarming and nervous. Those are all words that encompass this Hebrew word here. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 31, Daniel said, In your vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge, shining statue of a man, and it was a frightening spot. So he's got a deep shaking, even though he would be the one that stands out and says, Throw them into the furnace with his deep, booming voice, and people will move at his command, and everything will be done for him. Servants at his table, making his bed, giving his clothes, protecting him, guarding him, keeping him, and he stands, and he says something, and they do it, and never talk back to him, and never resist. And he was terrified and filled with dread because of the reality of his humanity. Because people are real no matter what their station in life is, no matter what they project, no matter what we think about them, people are still people. And it's true that a person can have it all but still be afraid about the future because nobody is at peace apart from God. And many believers are at peace, are, are not at peace because they're not in an abiding relationship with Jesus. They're not abiding. They're taking things into their own hands. They're trying to figure things out. I don't know if you've noticed, those of you that 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 phrase resonates with you, because that's a phrase I use often, that I have to confess before the Lord, I just need to figure this out. You know, when you live in the realm of figuring out, you're frustrated and angry because you can't figure it out. Life isn't to be figured out, it's to be lived in relationship with Jesus, because God's ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts, and we just can't figure out sin and the consequences of sin we just can't figure it out we 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 just don't live in that realm anymore we're not even thinking about how to do evil we're thinking about how to do good so that when we're faced with some evil thing and we try to figure it out we have some situation that we're just going to sit down and do the math sharpen our pencil get the calculator out and then we're doing it no no it's just a frustrating it's just better to pray And just ask the Lord to give us wisdom, to lead us and guide us. Because you can have it all and still be terrified and full of dread and fear. And so notice, it says that in verse 6, he issued an order and he called. He was humbled and he wanted to know the answer. And he called out to those in his kingdom that he believed knew. But there was also a part of him that he knew they didn't know, so he tested them. In order for me to know that you know, Nebuchadnezzar said, you remember, he said, you've got to tell me the dream and the interpretation. I'm not going to tell you my dream. And I'll know you're from God. I'll know you know what you're talking about if you can tell me the dream and the interpretation. I go, well, we don't know the dream. Tell us the dream. We don't know the dream. And they didn't say this, but they they could say, because we're frauds and we really don't know anything. We've been been lying to you all this time. And now you've laid before us something we can't lie about because we don't know the dream. And if we try to guess it, we're going to lose our heads because we're going to guess wrong. It's because it's, we do this all, all the time. We do this on a smaller scale. Uh, we'll say something like, you'll never, you'll, you'll never believe what happened. Guess what happened? We're like, I have no idea what happened. Like, where would I guess? Where did it happen? Did it happen there? Did it happen here? I have no idea. Why don't you just tell me what happened? I have no idea. Well, imagine when your life is on the line and somebody came. You'll never guess what I did. If you tell me, tell me what happened. Tell me what just happened in my life. 
and I'll spare you. He's like, no, I don't have any idea. And he was humbled because he had no idea. And there's that wrestling going on in the heart of this man. Just as there's wrestlings going on in the hearts of your friends and your mom and your coworkers, deep, deep hurt. He says, basically, I went to all my trusted friends. I went to everyone that I've relied on in the past and they couldn't help me. And I was at a loss. And I chose to talk to Daniel last. And he says in verse, <clears throat> verse 10, while I was lying in my bed, this is what I dreamed. And he says, I saw a large tree in the middle of the earth. The tree grew very tall and strong and reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves and it was loaded with fruit for all to eat, wild animals living in its shade, birds nested in its branches. All the world was fed from this tree. Then as I lay there dreaming, I saw a messenger, a holy one coming down from heaven. The messenger shouted, cut down the tree and lop off its branches, shake its leaves and scatter its fruit. Chase the wild animals from its shade and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump and the roots in the ground. Bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the wild animals among the plants of the field. For seven periods of time, let him have the mind of a wild animal instead of the mind of a human. For this has been decreed by the messengers. It's commanded by the Holy One so that everyone may know that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world. And he gives, to them to, he gives them to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest of people. Belteshazzar, that was the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now tell me what it means, for none of the wise men of my kingdom can do so, but you can tell me because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. And so God uses dreams in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. And after he thinks back to how God used the dream previously, when he has another one, he calls for Daniel because Daniel is trusted. Daniel, he knows, will tell him the truth. And you are that person to someone. They may not tell you this, they may never share it with you. They may never write a card and put it in the mail. But you are known as the person that will tell the truth. And when they want to know the truth, you want to be ready to give them the truth. And they'll call for you. And they'll seek you out. Not every day. This is, an, this is a very unique experience in his life. So back in chapter 2, he had a dream. He went to all his friends. They couldn't help. Then Daniel had the answer. And now I've got another dream. And I call my friends, and, 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 but I, this time I call Daniel because I know he'll tell me the truth. But you know, I'm just not ready for the truth, so I'm wavering. It's just like things going on in your friends' lives, your co-workers. Oh, I, I sought the best-selling, you know, you see them at work, they're reading a new book. It could be a Christian self-help book, because there are Christian self-help books too. They're not really reading the Bible, they're reading the most popular author, they saw a new post, a new quote, and so they've read all the books, they, they've got the new counseling app, that they saw advertised, and so they did the free trial, and that didn't work for them. That they have got a new subscription to the Dr. Phil website, whatever that is, .com, but Dr. Phil can't help them. They, they've gone through everything. They've tried this over here. They've bought that over there. They, they have tried every new you know, statement. They, today's going to be a good day, and they keep saying it over and over and over again, and then it didn't, but then they called you. Finally. 
And the last thing they need is for you to be offended that they called you last. Just be happy they called you. <laughs> it's like, what's your problem? You called, what, do you think Dr. Phil's going to help you? I know, I know. And you read that book, did you know that's all jang and messed up? Why are you reading that? I know, I know. And now I asked you, but now I don't really want to talk to you because you're mad at me. Don't do that. Be ready in season and out of season. You should expect that the, your, the friends around you are going to make mistakes. You should expect that, hey, you make mistakes, don't you? Don't you go off the path from time to time? But he calls Daniel because he wanted to know the truth, but he didn't quite want to know the truth. And as he asked, he describes the dream as da Daniel hears him out, and he listens intently, and there's this tree. It's a new dream that comes up in the midst of the earth, a very strong team, but it was chopped down by the watcher, an angel. And that man, that tree represented a man that was given the heart of a beast, and it was a heavy dream. It seems to have great power, and then it loses everything. And notice in verse 17, uh, it's commanded uh, by the Holy One so that everyone may know that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world, and He gives them to anyone that He chooses. So the watchers, they lose. Now, the watchers, as they cut down the tree, this, this tree representing a man, as we are going to find out, that tree represented Nebuchadnezzar, represented a man who had everything that controlled the world and helped the world, but he was cut down. And he was brought down because even the greatest men on the earth today will be brought down in the presence of God. Isn't that what the Bible says? That there's a coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And the real question is, is if you know that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, why not willingly bow the knee? Now, this is usually a time for an invitation to those listening in that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and it is an invitation. I'm inviting you today, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've never surrendered, today let that be the day. But I feel burdened, I feel burdened to remind you that are believers, you do the same thing sometimes. We do the same thing. We look for help in all the wrong places, and then we get mad because all the wrong places don't provide any help. It's still the same old thing. You know the pattern that I've seen even back to my days when I was in the prayer room, when I was just beginning to pray with people after services, instead of coming up to the stage at the church I came from, there was a room that you would go into after the service. And one of my first assignments was to pray with people on Sunday nights, at Sunday night service. And I saw it happen even in that little room where there'd be people that came to Sunday night service and that was a part of their life. And they would come in and they would ask for counsel. And they wouldn't like what the person said, so the next week they would come back in the room and they'd be sitting right next to me. They'd be sitting, you know, maybe there's three guys in there. So they'd go to guy number one and, and they didn't like what guy number one said, so they're guy number two. And then they, you're, you're like, wait a minute, I saw that guy in here last week, they were talking over here. And then, then the third week they're sitting with me. And you go, Ed, how did you know they didn't like the council? Because I asked them. I said, why are you talking to me? You go, well, you know, so-and-so said this, so-and-so and this, and now you're saying the same thing. That's right. Because the Bible doesn't change. And so what, what do people do? They, what, what maybe are you doing right now? Running away from God with nowhere to go. What are you doing? You're running from person to person until you finally hear what you're listening for. You've got to tune your ears to the voice of God. Because God loves you. And he's going to continue to repeat the message of truth to you wherever you go. 
you may find, and it would be disastrous, I'm going to pray today, I'm going to actually pray at the end of service, especially you guys listening on the radio somewhere, I'm going to pray today that you will not find that person that will tell you what you want to hear. Like they will just hide from you and see you coming in at the church parking lot and run away from you. I do not want you to find that person that will appease your sin, that will coddle you in your sinful behavior. I'm going to pray that God will send you the messenger or that even more so, I'm going to pray that God would stir you to ask for Daniel. I'm so troubled. I can't find the answer anywhere, but Daniel has been used in my life before. I need to talk to Daniel. I need to know the truth in my life because only the truth will set you free, believer. Because believers, followers of Jesus, get in bondage over time in unconfessed and unrepentant sin. And then they make it the problem of everyone around them. They make it their friend's problem. It's your, it's your, your fault that I'm like this. It's not actually my fault that you're like this. It's the choices that you've made. And then if it's not a friend, then it's a spouse. You know, they get mad at their spouse. I'm the way I am because of you. You're not the way you, no, that's not true. Or they get mad at the church. It's, if the church would have done such and such, then I wouldn't, that's, that's not true. The truth is this. As you turn your heart toward the Lord and you obey Hebrews chapter 12, where you firmly fix your eyes on the author and finisher of your faith, he will get you through this situation and change you from the inside out. That's the truth. It's not anyone else's fault. And once you get to that place, then some of the broken relationships that are around you, that's where the Lord will begin to fix them. Because maybe that your spouse has hurt you. Maybe a friend has let you down. Maybe the church has made a mistake. That's all true. But there's no reason for you to live in a place of unconfessed, unrepentant sin. Are you guys with me so far? Yeah, that's God's will for your life. And it's God's will for my life. Because your life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. So why do you want to go hold through your whole life all bitter and upset about things instead of just like, hey, I need to talk to Daniel. That's who I need. And you may be the last person someone calls for, but when you get the call, show up and be there, would you? And give them the truth. In love, but give them the truth. Because God will honor his word every single time. And now you're understanding, are you not, why you're in your daily devos why you have a prayer life, why you'll brave the frozen tundra of three feet of snow to be in a church service, to be in fellowship and not forsake it. Now you're understanding why you're always in a sense of readiness because you're in a warfare and you're ready for battle and you're doing battle not with someone, but you're doing battle for someone. And we're a body and a family. And Nebuchadnezzar, we'll get into it next time, the rest of the chapter, of how God is able to reach the unreachable. So, Father, we are grateful. We want to be the Daniel in people's lives. We want to answer when the phone call comes. I I just pray for us as a church that you would forgive us if we've copped an attitude about people where we just don't like people. Would you please forgive us like Daniel, or like Nebuchadnezzar prayed, like Daniel would later pray? Forgive us, God. Not forgive them, but forgive us. 
because we and us is always the language of ministry. It's always the language of servanthood. We're in this together. We are not each other's enemies. We are not opposed to one another. We are the family of God. We are in unity with every believer, true believer in the spirit. And may we not bite and devour one another. Just right here at Calvary Church, that we would not bite and devour one another, but rather live in love and edification, building one another up in the Spirit. And I pray, God, that you would send truth-tellers into our lives. Not only would we be truth-tellers, but you would send truth-tellers into our lives. And like I said, I pray against those that are seeking out people that would agree with them. I know there's a pastor in town even that will coddle and, and make and and. I pray against that, Lord. I just pray against it. You know what it is. I pray against it in Jesus' name. I pray against that sense of division and animosity that would harm and hurt people and not live in the truth. And may we never be known that way, Lord. May we walk in the Spirit. And may we foster unity. And may we not turn people against one another. But may we be reconcilers. May we be peacemakers. And so for that person that's going from church to church or pastor to pastor or leader to leader or friend to friend, looking for something that they want to hear, I pray they will never find it. But instead, they will have ears to hear what your spirit is saying to them. And they will hear the truth spoken in love. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.